everyone, this is your host, Isabella Long at Sydney Ann Street, and you're listening to Femme Force, the podcast celebrating female music creatives. Welcome to our very first episode featuring our first guest, Caitlin Yo. Please listen, subscribe, share, download, and follow the Femme Force podcast series on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. You can stay updated and follow FemForce on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at FemForcePod. Today, we will be joined by Caitlin Yeo, an accomplished multi-award-winning Australian female screen composer. She is also the first female president of the Australian Guild of Screen Composers and founded the Gender Equity Committee with fellow female composers. Her most recent achievements include awards for her original scores for Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan, The Pacific in the Wake of Captain Cook with Sam Neill, and The Butterfly Tree, awarded by the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Awards, the Australasian Performing Rights Association, and the Australian Guild of Screen Composers. Hello, Caitlin. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Bella? Good, thank you. Good. Welcome to FemForce. Firstly, please tell us about yourself and introduce your Femme Force as a female music creative. Sure. Hi, Bella. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for coming. On your podcast. Love your podcast. Thank you. Um, So I am a screen composer. I write music for film and TV in Australia. My most recent film was a film called Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan, Mm. which was a big war film directed by Creve Standers, who also directed things like Red Dog and Mm. Australia Day and things like that. I have been a screen composer for the last 16 years. I love writing music for film and TV. It's a big passion of mine and I guess for me one of the things I love about it most is telling stories and crafting new ways of using music to express stories, ideas, emotions and it's a very collaborative medium so working with others in that collaborative space. Can you describe the journey to your career today? Yes, So I guess the journey to becoming a screen composer kind of starts in childhood, really. Mm. I mean, it started with a love of music when I was very little, watching my brother play piano and wanting to learn piano myself Mm. and not being allowed to learn it until my hands were big enough. (laughs) So it was just one of those things where my brother was learning and the piano teacher would look at the size of my hands every year and say, you're not allowed to learn until your hands are this big. And when they finally became big enough, which I think I was about eight I started learning piano and I kind of took to it really quickly. And I remember, I guess, one of the things that I did, I loved playing film themes. Mm. Like I couldn't stop playing Chariots of Fire. Or I remember I played The Greatest American Prayer, which was a classic, funny film at the time. And I played Star Wars Mm. and all of the themes. And I really loved all the themes. So that was a big thing for me. I kept playing music all through my high school years. And I did Mm. classical piano and flute. Mm. And they were a big part of my high school days. But then I just went out into the big world and played in bands. I played in a band called Freudian Trip, which was just a very experimental band in the 90s, kind of gigged around. And then I guess eventually after playing in bands and stuff and teaching piano in my early 20s, I went off and my brother was at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School at AFTERS and he's an animator and he was making a short animation called Mozzie and he needed some music for it. So he just said, can you write the music for this? Also actually did a degree at Sydney Uni in music and all the composition I'd done at the time because it was still very much the analogue era was all on pencil and paper, it was all Mm -hmm. manuscript, it was all written and then you'd go to players and you'd get it performed live. That's kind of how I learnt to compose and he asked me to write the music for his film so I didn't know how to 
to do it using a DAW or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I just wrote it on manuscript. I used a metronome to time it out. And then I brought the players into the room and I watched the film and we kind of performed to the Mm. film together, which was a great, fun experience. And the result was really great. It was really kind of lumpy, bumpy, fun sort of little ensemble piece Mm. and that's kind of how I got the taste for it so a few years later I applied to go to afters to do screen composition and got Mm. in and then I guess from there I started working in the industry pretty much only sporadically at first Mm -hmm. but then eventually you build up your client base and began working full-time. So how would you describe your musical role as a screen composer? The screen composer has to have many hats, I think. Mm-hmm. it's Obviously, there's the big job of writing the music and composing the music. Yes. But it's really only kind of one side mm. of it. There's a lot to be said for understanding story and story mm. structure and understanding how film itself and the language mm. of film and then understanding also the language of film music and how that speaks or communicates within the visual medium of film mm. itself. And I do think that that understanding comes with watching a lot of film, watching a lot of different film, but it also comes with a lot of composing to a lot of different films, Mm. a lot of styles, a lot of genres, and working with a lot of different directors. Because essentially film is communicated, obviously, via the visual audio medium, but it's the director who pulls together all the crafts to tell that story Mm. and so different directors do it in different ways inherently different ways different editors do it in inherently different ways so I think one of my jobs is to understand not only the craft of composition itself but it's also to understand the craft of filmmaking and then in particular to understand the craft of the editor and the sound designer and those other people who are involved in the post-production of film like I am myself it's very involved. Very um, involved. And it's also very technical. So knowing yeah. how to use a DAW to write music using MIDI and mock up your ideas so that a director can understand, you know, your musical idea and then yeah. orchestrate those ideas and put them on sheet music and then bring them to the session and produce mm. musical ideas within a recording space and then edit them and mix them and, you know, deliver them. And also within the 5.1 music mm, space rather true. than stereo. And in your process, do you analyse the film shots separately first? I have a little process. Whatever film I'm working on, I do like to just have a first watch as an audience member just to sort of gauge where I get hit emotionally Mm -hmm. in the film. And then I go back in with my screen composer hat on and I think about how is the music going to function across Mm -hmm. this film? Is it going to play anyone's point of view? Or Mm -hmm. is it going to more work in moods or feelings across the film are we going to look at writing multiple different themes or is it going to work asynchronously to the drama Mm. and play against what's already there and all those questions it's really a process of asking questions and seeing which question resonates not only with me an answer but also resonates an answer with the director usually very interesting can you tell us about your music training i think Screen composers usually have a very broad music training. Mm. I don't think there's one pathway to becoming a screen composer. I think you'll find that most screen composers have a completely different background. Mm -hmm. So mine is definitely learning classical piano and flute through primary school and high school. Yes. And then leaving high school and just throwing away all my classical training 
and joining a rock band. I also, when I went to uni and did my music degree at Sydney Uni, I also joined the Gamelan group mm. and did that for many years. And every now and again, I still play with them today. Wow. And that's a massive part, like the way that mm-hmm. Javanese Gamelan is constructed is a massive part of the way I write music in terms of interlocking rhythms and Mm. things like that. It's it's really influenced me greatly. I also started a gypsy band and started playing accordion a lot and then did a bunch of classical grades in accordion as well to get my chops up in my later 20s. And all of that sort of particularly, we did a lot of French and klezmer music. Mm. All those modes and harmonies, they've Mm. also influenced my composition greatly and then after all of that I went to afters and did screen composition at afters and that really kind of brought all my disparate experience and education in music Mm -hmm. kind of together to one place that I could actually start playing with all those ideas in one medium that being the medium of film. What are the biggest influences and sources of inspiration for your music? So you mentioned the world Definitely world Cultures, music yeah. is a big one. And when I was at uni, I really, one of my favourite subjects was ethnomusicology, mm. so studying music of different cultures. And I've even spent a lot of time playing, you know, Irish whistles wow. and French music and mm. klezmer music and Javanese music and all of that, yeah, is a big part. I love the way that music is constructed so differently in those cultures. And so that's always of a continued fascination for me. And I think the world of film itself is always a different world anyway. So yeah. it's great to try and find other ways of expressing that world other than just through the Western tonal system. I guess another influence for me is from the Western tonal system. It's very mm-hmm. much 20th century composition. Some of my favourite composers are like Steve Reich and Penderecki and Varese and Schoenberg. People who really spent time in the 20th century pushing the boundaries mm. of the Western tonal system and and trying to find different ways to express sound other than just through the normal hierarchy of melody, Mm. harmony and rhythm. However, that said, I think melody, harmony and rhythm, particularly good harmony, is very, very important to expressing musical ideas firmly. Do you have a favourite film score in particular? Oh, there's a lot of favourite film scores that I have. It's a really, really hard question. I suppose I do love... A lot of anything by Cliff Martinez. I think his music, particularly for Solaris, is fantastic. I also love Michael Giacchino. I think his music for The Incredibles is Mm. awesome. John Powell's music for How to Train Your Dragon is great. I also love Johan Johansson, who did the music for The Arrival. That's a great score. And also his music for The Theory of Everything. Also love Rachel Portman. I love her music. And Wendy Carlos, her music for The Shining is awesome. Lots of different ones. Well, you kind of touched on your first screen composition experience with your brother's animation. Do you want to talk about another one? I suppose one of the things is that when I got out of film school, the first thing was a documentary. Okay. And that was a great, lovely documentary about children who crossed the Himalayas from Tibet to India to mm. seek guidance from the Dalai Lama. So it was a beautiful oh, okay. doco. And I kind of remember when I got that, I took all the money that I was earning from that particular film and mm-hmm. I basically sunk it back into the score so mm. I used it to continue to hone my craft and I spent it on musicians and mixing and I think I kept a very 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 small amount of it over time I've realized that you have to keep some to make mm. it a sustainable career yes but I think there's also something to be said for having a look at ways to find like I just wanted to try for my first few docos to produce the highest quality I could Mm -hmm. and also continue to learn to work with musicians and produce musicians in a recording space because I think that's a big part of the craft. Did you have any mentors? Who were they and how did they inspire you? And what lessons did you learn from them? 
I guess there's been a few mentors along the way. Mm -hmm. Most of them probably came from film school. So one of them was a guy called John Haney, who mm -hmm. was the head of sound at the time when I was at film school. He's an incredible music mixer and had spent many years in America doing many great American albums and films. You could probably look his name up and he's got a list a mile long credits. But he mixed all my music as soon as I came out of film mm -hmm. school and continued to mix it for about 10 years. And he really taught me a lot about the mixing process and how valuable it is and not just the mixing process generally but the mixing process for film because mm. I think that that's something that a lot of people don't really truly understand that to record and mix a piece of music for radio or for an album mm -hmm. is a completely different skill set completely different approach to doing the same thing for film mm. when you're going to land in the cinema in yes. a 5.1 space. So John Haney very much taught me that and I think there's a few people in Australia that do that really, really well now. Mm. One's Evan McHugh and one's Wes Chu. So I've worked with both of them. They're both mm -hmm. great. Very cool. So can you describe your role and involvement as the president of the Australian Guild of Screen Composers? So I've been president for pretty much nearly two years now of the Australian Guild of Screen Composers. The Guild of Screen Composers is a industry body for Australia. We have a guild for each kind of craft or practice within filmmaking and the guild is there to support the needs of screen composers, both emerging and established, and to bring out a community together, lobby for the rights of screen composers, mm. to stay on top of changes in our industry and communicate that within, in amongst our members and to also advise in amongst the other guilds and the other industry bodies of keeping our industry alive and, and sustainable. Yeah. I guess for me, I am the first female president of the Guild. And before I was that, I was also one of the founding members of the Gender Equity Committee, which yes. is a subcommittee, which is part of the Guild. And that committee was founded between myself, Felicity Wilcox, Amanda Brown, and Yank DeVilda, and Joe Smith. And we kind of got together over cups of tea initially, just mm -hmm. to kind of dream up ideas of how we mm. can find ways to bring more women into our industry yes. because unfortunately we are heavily underrepresented in our industry and it's a very complex issue as to why mm. it does come down a lot to unconscious bias on both sexes yes. both for men and women so trying to find ways that we can build up the confidence of women entering into our industry but it also comes down to visibility seeing other women do it and succeeding really yeah. does empower younger women to have a go definitely and also providing opportunities for women to step into the space in a safe way can you tell us about your initiatives for the gender equity committee some of the initiatives we've done is we've rolled out four mentorships to date. Three of them have been the APRA AGSC Women Film Mentorship, which wow. are fantastic. And one of them was with the South Australian Film Commission. But all of them have been successful in bringing more women to the industry. Yeah. We've also had two industry roundtables mm -hmm. with peak funding bodies and other guilds to discuss mm. the issue of gender equity and representation yes. within our industry and find ways that we can all work together. Mm -hmm. And we've now just recently started a umbrella advocacy group amongst all the other guilds so we can all kind of consolidate and strengthen all our work that we mm. do separately together. On top of that, I'm also on the Gender Task Force, which mm. is a Screen Australia consultation group on okay. the way Screen Australia look at policy around gender equity. Wow. And I'm one of the only practitioners on that group. Most of them mm. are broadcasters, directors and distributors and people from Screen Australia. So it's an interesting place to be because I'm one of the people who's not only representing screen composers there, but also trying to represent cinematographers and mm. editors and sound designers and everyone mm. and just say, let's look at ways we can also look at those 
practitioners who are below the line that is not writer, director, producer mm. or main lead actor or actress and find ways that we can also bring up the representation in yeah. those fields. Give them a voice. Give them a voice. We all have an individual story to tell yeah. and essentially filmmaking, it's a storytelling mm. medium and it's really about us reflecting upon our own lives and finding ways that we can express that mm. within that medium. And so if we continue to do that with a very low diverse pool, we will only ever rattle around in the same mm. stories. Yeah. So we do need to find ways to bring others, give them the tools and the opportunities mm. to tell their stories because their stories are so interesting. So what's your personal experience working as a freelance independent composer on commissions in Australia? Personally, I think it's been really good. I've had a lot of commissions and I've been very fortunate to have a lot of commissions. I think as a freelance, I don't have a publisher or anything like mm -hmm. that or a publicist. It's been all me the whole time. Yes. So whenever a contract came in, I had to read it myself and mm. negotiate it myself and then come back. Wow. So that's actually been very powerful for me because every single time I'm faced with a contract, I'm faced to consider the question of the value of what I do and the value of what I can bring to that project and then to fight for that or to mm. argue for that or even just to talk about that with mm. the producer is it's very empowering for your own craft so for me that's been positive I think because it's really given me a confidence around negotiating deals mm -hmm. and understanding the business side of the whole yes. industry and I think a lot of people come into this industry maybe with great artistic skills, with wonderful mm. artistic ideas, but a great hole or a great lack of understanding around how to keep the business afloat as well. And I think it's very important to also consider that because one of the reasons why I've stayed in the industry is because I've always advocated for the value of what I did. Wow. And it made sure that there was an actual fee put on the value of what I could bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And I had maintained all my rights or as many yes. rights as possible mm -hmm. and I had also maintained some sort of livable schedule around mm. how I created the music and when it was due and all of that just came from essentially a want to do the best possible job I could yes it was just a want to make great music and so I think it's been very positive for me on the commissions I've gotten because mm -hmm. for the most part, people do come to the table or you meet halfway. And that's part of negotiating. No one takes it personally. But yeah, so positive. Wow. Mm. So you're your own manager as well. Yeah, definitely. Wow. It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Going on into our Femforce concept, can you tell us about your experience as a female composer and musician in the male-dominated music industry? Yes, it's very male-dominated, the screen composition industry. I think for me, I had no idea of that pretty much for the first 12 years of my career, simply because when I came out of film school and began working in the industry, I also had a baby at mm. exactly the same time. So I have my studio at home and I've been in the industry 16 years and my child is 14 and a half. And then so add another nine months of carrying a baby around. I can't actually remember being in this industry at all. I must have had six months without oh. having a child at all, you know? So it's been a really big part for me. I just had to hunker down and just do the commissions and nurture a child at the yeah. same time. I have wow. a very supportive husband, but my studio was at home, so I still did probably the bulk of the child rearing mm. through the first at least 12 years of his life. So mm. I didn't look into 
what everyone else was doing, funnily yeah. enough. I didn't compare myself to anyone else or look at how many of me or females there were compared to how many men there were. And I didn't even notice that probably most of the people who hired me through that time were women. So mostly I've been hired by women producers or women directors. And there's been a few men that have championed me, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I think upon reflection, I do wonder, maybe I'm wrong, maybe, I don't know. I, I have no answers for this, mm. it's just a question. I do wonder if potentially, if I didn't have a kid or, and I would never give that up for the world, it's the best thing I ever did. I love him dearly, he's my beautiful boy. I love that side of me, being a mum, having a family. That is really, really important to me. Mm -hmm. But just say I didn't have those mm. things in my life. And as your identity, as part of my identity, yeah, of who I am, would have I been given more opportunities? I wonder, because there were a number of opportunities along the way that were offered to me that I couldn't take because the schedules mm. were too punishing. They wouldn't allow for me to be able to turn around the quality of music I wanted yeah. to turn around at the time simply because I couldn't pull a 16 hour day mm. or 12 hour day because yeah. I had realistically, yeah, realistically, it was impossible, it was mm. a barrier. So, I know that's a long winded answer to your question, but yes. I guess I don't have any litmus test to knowing whether I have experienced any sort of gender discrimination. All I know is the opportunities I were given were mostly by women mm, and very mostly interesting. in the documentary field. And I think the interesting thing about that is that documentarians, many of them also parents, funnily enough, and documentarians are good at waiting for things because they go out in the field and they, they're very flexible people because they have to be open to whatever may happen within mm. real life. And so that I think they've been also flexible with working with me and that's been very positive. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. What compositional approach techniques or equipment do you use the most in your music? Definitely still use pencil and manuscript with everything I mm. do. I start everything with a basic idea on manuscript. Mm -hmm. I use Digital Performer to sketch up all my ideas. I have a gazillion virtual instruments that yes. I use. So I also love to make my own samples out mm -hmm. of sounds and that becomes a big part of my sound. And yeah, they're probably the main things. Mm -hmm. So how has the development of music technology over the years during your career influenced your production and compositions? I think it's just certainly made it more expedient to realise my ideas because before you'd have to just write it on paper and then bring the players in yeah. to see what they sounded like. But now you can really sketch up something that sounds very close to what your final idea will yes. be. It's made it a lot more expedient. That said, mm -hmm. I think that virtual instruments can be restrictive. There's an infinite number of articulations you can get out of mm -hmm. a real instrument, whereas you're only ever confined to the articulations the sample library offers. So a great trap that one can get into, I think, is writing for the sample library yeah. rather than writing for the instrument. A thing for me is trying to find a way to use the sample library to sketch mm. up my idea, but know that when it's going to the final instrument, I want to try and find more ways of expressing that idea mm. other than just what the sample library did. So often I find I need to work with a director who is trusting mm. in that leap between the demo and the recorded mm. idea. It's always better. The real instrument is always better. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Why is music composition so important to you? I guess it's probably that music is such an intangible way of expressing an emotion. Mm -hmm. And it's so direct, I think, in terms of resonating with someone. And yet it's so intangible or ungraspable how it does that. And so I guess there's this unachievable wanting me to find new ways to drill into that probably why it's so important to me and when you do drill into it there's a satisfaction like yes. no other a personal satisfaction and 
more so when it resonates with other people. You might be sitting in the audience in a cinema, you can feel the emotion in the room. There's something very satisfying about that because you do feel like you're taking someone else on a ride for that moment mm. in time and I really like that. Can you tell us about some top moments in your career? Sure, I guess Look, one of my favourite films that I've ever worked on is one called The Rocket with Kim Mordaunt. It's a beautiful film and it's about a little boy and it's set in Laos and it's about a rocket festival that he goes to and builds a rocket. It's a great film. And that film touched so many hearts. It did exactly that thing. It just Mm. drilled into people's hearts. Everyone who came out of that film was crying with happy and joyous and uplifted tears. And it was just one of those little films that kind of tried it wasn't a big budget film but everyone put their heart and soul into it and mm-hmm. it was just dripping with all of that you know, in the most positive of ways mm. so it was certainly a career highlight and the fact that it went around many film festivals and, mm. and it won a lot of awards and one of the film festivals that went to was Tribeca in New York mm. and I went along with that one oh, wow. and it won that award and then that film festival was put on by Robert De Niro and mm. so we got to meet Robert De Niro and that was a real yeah. really exciting thing I mean there's other career highlights but I like that one okay. going Danger Close was a big one too yeah and what's the biggest challenge of your career I guess staying in it is mm-hmm. a really hard one ensuring that I'm always pushing myself not just staying in it at one level, but staying in it in a way that I'm always doing better the next mm. time. I'm always writing something of a higher quality that speaks more broadly, that tests more ideas, that pushes craft even mm. further. That, that's yeah. the hardest thing. Not getting stuck in a loop of writing the same thing over and over mm. again. So that's always the thing I'm pushing and striving for. Mm-hmm. So if there's one piece of advice you could give to young female screen composers and musicians, what would it be? I think particularly for young female screen composers, you have to have a go. Mm -hmm. One thing I've noticed particularly now that I work around a lot more men in this industry, I'm not just at home looking after my kid and doing it on my own, is that, I mean, I think the thing that was really fortunate for me was I just didn't even realise that I was a minority. Mm. So I just jumped in there and had a go. I didn't realise that I was going to be facing barriers, bringing up a child at the same time. Mm. I just jumped in there and had a go. And... I think that's a big one for women to Mm. kind of push aside all your insecurities Mm -hmm. around it and accept that, have a go, it doesn't matter Mm. if you fail or if it's not perfect. And this is coming from an extreme perfectionist, you know, (laughs) so this is something I've had to deal with over time. But yeah, it's okay if it's not perfect, just have a go and that go might lead to another go and then you can have a go there and that might lead to another go and then a few more goes. Once you've had a lot of goes, Mm -hmm. you'll find that suddenly your craft is a lot more honed. Step in there and put yourself out there. And I didn't even realise that I was a minority in terms of being an Asian as well. So I I think I just kind of forged ahead and just thought, ah, I didn't see that as a barrier. Yeah, you have to just accept who you are. Exactly. And own it. And I guess that's what men do really well. You know, they just go, ah, I'm allowed to have a go. I'm having a go. Mm. I'm going to get in there. Never done that before, but I'm going to tell them I can do it. And that's kind of the attitude you need to have. Because once you've done it, once you know how to do it. Yeah. Excellent. How can we listen to your projects? I've got a website. So you mm-hmm. can go to my website, www.caitlinyo.com. I've released five 
albums to date. Wow. So Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan, Getting Frank Gary, The Rocket, The Music for Bomb Harvest. There's one more in the wings that will get released very, very shortly. All of those, oh no, The Butterfly Tree. And there's still one more in the wings, The Pacific in the Wake of Captain Cook. Mm-hmm. Not yet released, but I'm about to release it soon. All of that you can find on various streaming platforms and iTunes. Mm-hmm. You can buy those soundtracks and have a listen. Perfect. Thank you very much, Caitlin, for joining us today and sharing your femme force. My pleasure. A huge thank you again to Caitlin for featuring in the first episode of Femme Force. Thanks for listening and joining us to celebrate our powerful Femme Force in music. Please comment and submit any topic requests, questions or recommendations for interviewing guests. This is your host, Isabella Lung at Sydney and Street. See you in the next episode of Femme Force.